coffee isn't just a drink, it's who you are. We are Little Green Hive, and we're here to serve that perfect cup of coffee made just for you. We're women-owned and locally sourced. Our mission is to provide the best product for our customers, as well as strengthen our community. From fair trade coffees and teas, to breakfast, lunch, and smoothies, we have everything you need to start your day off right. Now featuring our summer drinks. Come visit us in downtown Roanoke, Grandin Village, and Daleville Town Center, Little Green Hive, because coffee is personal. Hey, it's Leanna. Before we get to the episode, we want to take a second to thank you for listening. The fact that you chose this episode out of the millions of podcast episodes that are out there, that's pretty cool. We'd love it if you left us a review, subscribed, shared us with a friend. And if there's something you want to see us talk about on Hometown Stories, just let us know. Send an email to hometownstories at wdbj7.com. Okay, now let's settle in for today's episode. If you drive past the Gainsborough neighborhood on a fair weather day, and so now we're walking to Henry Street, you might catch Jordan Bell at work, patching up the spaces between the past and the present. It kind of gives you a sense of, I have a responsibility to do something for my neighborhood. In this episode of Hometown Stories, a walking tour with Jordan Bell, who's using his past to reshape his future in a neighborhood that isn't done shaping him. Without Gainsborough, I wouldn't be the man that I am today. And this is the uh, Clater, the Clater property. In the 1920s, they built a 23-room mansion, a service station, and then about 20 years later, they built a uh, medical clinic. And right over here, the name Dr. Clater is in the- It's a chilly, overcast morning in Roanoke City, and Jordan Bell is giving me a tour of a neighborhood filled with stories. So Henry Street stopped where we just came from, that Lawson building there. That's where Henry Street stopped. It stopped on Gilmer Avenue, and it began at the bottom of the Martin Luther King Bridge now. With his words, maps, and a few old photos, Bell begins painting a picture of the Gainsborough neighborhood of his grandparents' generation. Pretty much looks the same as it did when I was, when I was younger. The change came when my mother was younger. So the, the neighborhood that you see today is the same neighborhood that you have seen over the past 15, 20 years. The neighborhood today is quiet, much quieter than the way his grandmother remembered it during her childhood. Gainsborough is adjacent to Roanoke City's downtown. This was the center of Black life for decades, anchored by thriving businesses, homes, and community centers. In 1941, the community developed the Hunton Lifesaving Crew, believed to be the first all-African-American volunteer rescue squad in the United States. It's still home to the historic Dumas Hotel, once listed in the Green Book, a travel guide for Black Americans to help them safely navigate a segregated country. You know, they said James Brown and Little Richard and Ella Fitzgerald and Duke Ellington and all of those people were on Henry Street. Just to see what Henry Street looked like in its heyday, you know, would probably be something that I, if I had to pinpoint to go back in time, would probably just, I want to spend a day on Henry Street. 
The neighborhood had its own clinic, service station, grocery store, and newspaper, the Roanoke Tribune, which is still in operation in another part of the city today. There was Burl Memorial Hospital, which was the only hospital for Black people in the region. It was named for Dr. Isaac Burl, who, while planning the hospital, died en route to Washington, D.C. for a surgery he couldn't access in Roanoke. Among the people who called Gainesboro home was Edward Dudley, America's first Black ambassador appointed by President Truman. He was a neighbor to Oliver Hill, a civil rights attorney who would go on to argue a case consolidated into the Supreme Court decision, Brown versus Board of Education. Gainsborough's Henry Street also housed a theater operated for a time by famous Black filmmaker, Oscar Michaud. Footage in the WDBJ7 archives shows snapshots of life in Gainsborough along the business district and choppy film reel. Men in suits, ties, and hats stroll Henry Street. Young boys stand at attention for the camera outside a grocery store. A woman with a few young girls in tow stroll by arm in arm. In a documentary about Henry Street, WDBJ7 produced in the 80s, a woman named Marionette Sprave recalled the people from her early days in Gainsboro. They were business people and they carried themselves in that fashion. They uh, would tip their hats to the adults always and always had a kind word to say to them. It was just like to us, uh, Fifth Avenue is to New York. The Dumas Hotel, which is right, which is this building directly in front of us, was one of the most historical hotels in the state of Virginia, uh, started by Mac Barlow Sr. and Mac Barlow Jr. I would say over from, I would say a 75 year period, there were, there were at least 200 businesses in this area. Bell says his great grandmother, Robbie, lived here. She was born in 1905, and the home she would later raise her own children in. Robbie was classmates with Oliver Hill and was taught by a longtime notable educator, Lucy Addison, for whom a local school is now named. They went to school, they walked to school, they walked to the store, they walked to Henry Street, they walked to their doctor, they walked to church. They never left this area, you know, so that was a lot of it too is, you know, back during that time, you didn't necessarily have to leave your neighborhood to do anything. You had to go out and fight the world, but you always knew, as long as I can make it back home, as long as I can make it back to my neighborhood, I'll be all right. As we walk, Bell recreates the neighborhood as it used to be. For him, this preservation of memory is personal. thing that really stuck out to me was it was always a smile on their face when they would tell those stories. Uh, my grandmother passed away in July of last year and every time she would tell a story she was just always so excited and proud about you know hey Dr. Clater did this or we did this on Henry Street or we went to the Dumas Hotel we went you know to the Star City Auditorium it was just always a smile on her face and she was always excited to tell a story about growing up in Gainesboro. Bell grew up in church pews and around kitchen tables where family, neighbors, and mentors would tell him these stories. It was a longtime Gainesboro educator, Richard Chubb, who sparked the fire that now burns in Bell. To see his passion and his love for community, specifically for Gainesboro and wanting to see something done in Gainesboro for the people of Gainesboro is really what sparked my interest in 
okay, I have to do something before, you know, he leaves this earth to kind of solidify his struggle and his fight. And so that's kind of what put me on this path of learning as much as I can, sharing it as much as I can, but actually doing something to see this neighborhood get back to what it used to be. I sit with Bell at the tables in the back of the Gainsborough Library, a place listed on the U.S. National Register of Historic Places. It's famous for the work of past librarians, including Virginia Lee, who took special efforts to collect, preserve, and even hide away Black literature. This in a time when city officials demanded she remove the books. The books she hid away in the basement later became the basis for the library's special collection, now named for her. People always say, Jordan, you, you know, you're 31 years old, you're young, why are you sitting in the library all day? It's, I, I enjoy doing it. So they say, you know, what you enjoy doing is what you're supposed to be doing. And I think that's why I continue to do it. Y'all ready? Yes, sir. On another blustery afternoon, Bell leads an after-school group of elementary school children through the neighborhood. That home that you're looking at sat right here in this field, and it was 23 rooms. Bell's preservation work today takes him out of the library and onto the streets to bring history to life. And they built this so that Dr. Clater Sr. and his sons could work together in the medical field. His first walk actually started as a way to get his young daughter, Zariah, engaged in her family history. I said, well, Zariah, let's go on a walk. Let's go on a walk right quick, and I'll show you everywhere that, you know, your great-grandmother is talking about, because uh, she had the courtesy of knowing her great-grandmother. So um, that's really what sparked it, is, okay, I can walk you around and show you these different places, you know, while you're on your phone texting or something like that. So trying to get my daughter interested in Gainesboro is really what sparked the walking tours. And then the more Bell started to learn about Gainesboro's history, the more he wanted to know. One day after church, I asked my um, aunt and grandmother to take me to where, you know, their childhood home was. And when they took me to where the location was, there was nothing there. So there was an empty field. And so I just, you know, just wanted to know, well, where, where's the home at? All the homes were still there. And when I asked, well, where's your home? And my aunt said, Urban Renewal took it. And so that is what sparked, okay, well, what's Urban Renewal? Urban renewal stemmed from a federal program in the mid-1950s, which aimed to clean up what cities considered to be blighted communities. What was considered to be areas of blighted or substandard housing would be removed or cleared with the idea that then better housing would, would replace what had been removed. That's Nelson Harris, a Roanoke historian, pastor, and former mayor of the city. He says throughout the United States, most urban renewal projects tended to focus on lower income communities, many of which were home to minority populations. This operation in Virginia was called the Commonwealth Project. In Roanoke, the focus and the federal dollars were dialed in on the northeast part of the city. 
And so uh, the Roanoke Redevelopment and Housing Authority, with the approval of city council, embarked on really redoing almost an entire quadrant of our city. The initial idea was that what was considered substandard housing would be removed and homeowners compensated to build new homes on the same lots. But by and large, that didn't happen. Midstream, Harris said city leaders looked to add more development, notably the routing of Interstate 581, which split the Northeast community. With the plan, pushed by the Eisenhower administration, came more federal dollars. That creation included the destruction of part of the old, historically black Roanoke City Cemetery. The city removed the remains of hundreds of people and relocated them to another site in Botetourt County to make way for the construction. Harris says because so much of the neighborhood's land ended up being reserved for commercial and industrial development, the idea that people could rebuild in their old neighborhood anew did not happen. That, he said, spurred the creation of federal housing projects, many of which still stand today. At the end of the day, uh, that which had been promised to homeowners largely did not happen. And so what they did was that they could either move into federal housing projects or uh, be given money and, and move elsewhere. Uh, albeit really without the financial wherewithal to, um, to have many options. Mary Sprave from the documentary recalled the subsequent decline of the business district. Business people in that area, the majority of them had, were deceased now, and their young people had the type of jobs that didn't um, encourage them to take over the business that their um, elders had had. They were seeking better jobs, uh, better paying jobs, and they didn't have the money to go into business as they would like to and support a family. Once people started being cleared out of their homes and those buildings raised, what was some of the immediate effect of that section of the city? Well, the immediate effect was that basically a very close-knit and long-standing Black community in Roanoke became disassembled. The issue really became was uh, there was nothing to replace what had been lost. Again, because there was just kind of a, a change midstream in not rebuilding a residential area, but now creating a commercial and industrial section in the city. And so it, it really ripped at the fabric of Roanoke's longstanding historic kind of black community and center of commercial and social life in such a way that um, uh, that that it never got it never got restored. Nelson says subsequent councils in the late 50s tried to get out of urban renewal and stop the Commonwealth project, but contracts were signed, money was coming in, the die was cast. I think long-term 
when we think about what happened to Northeast Roanoke, um, we still uh, uh, see bitterness, uh, mistrust in uh, levels of government. Uh, when governments begin to involve themselves in the life of neighborhoods and and you know that is not something once lost is not easily restored. When they expanded the hotel and built the conference center and created more of a, a traffic, more traffic lanes here, they took the homes that were on Wells Avenue. What started as a way to connect his daughter to her history has become a full-blown passion for Bell. Directly behind the home, they built a medical clinic called the Clater Memorial Clinic, and we'll go around there and see it. He now regularly leads walking tours for children and adults. He's conducted oral histories with community elders, and he's working on a documentary to preserve those memories. I want to make sure that I'm able to do something of significance in this community before those people leave, and then also for my daughter's generation. I hope that she understands that she comes from greatness, that she never questions who she is, um, and that she never is looking for answers on who she is because of where she comes from. They even got a statue. Bell wants the children of the community to know what once existed so they know what's possible. He says his long-term goals are to revitalize Gainesboro. He envisions a neighborhood with no abandoned buildings and to see it come to life once again as a self-sustaining community. Come back, you know, and, and help out in trying to figure out what can be done in Gainesboro to bring it back to the vibrancy that so many people remember um, of this community. From one avenue to the next, from one story to another, Bell is laying a foundation for the future, built atop a bedrock of remembrance. This kind of takes over my life of trying to figure out what to do in Gainesboro and learn as much as I can, but without Gainesboro, I wouldn't be the man that I am today. Everyone is invited to join Bell on a community walk. You can also find a self-guided tour on GainesboroHistoryProject.org. You could find informational plaques across from the Hotel Roanoke on Wells Avenue and on an educational walkway at the Roanoke Higher Education Center. But if you're listening from out of town, no worries. We recorded our entire walking tour with Jordan Bell. You can take the virtual tour with him on our website, WDBJ7.com. And special thanks today to our intern, Tay Moss, for her tremendous help on this episode. On the next episode of Hometown Stories, a story about resilience and grit. 
Because some people make do with what life throws at them, and others make a little bit more. Her saying now is, I went from the tobacco field to the White House, and I said, you sure did, Ma, and I'm so proud of you. Arlene Davis's work ethic took her from cleaning houses in Southwest Virginia to cleaning the People's House in the nation's capital. Yeah, I loved it. We, we had a good time up there. Her decades of hard work under seven different presidents are now getting recognition. And I think that we should be telling her story. Honoring Arlene Davis. That's next week on the Hometown Stories podcast. Hometown Stories is a production of WDBJ7 in Roanoke, Virginia. This episode was written and produced by me, Leanna Scacchetti, and edited by Ben Roquelme. We'll see you next time. Hometown Stories is sponsored by Little Green Hive, because coffee is personal. Locations in downtown Roanoke, Daleville, and Grandin.